Sidney put a green filter over his lantern and pressed down with a small silver rod that had an emerald set on its tip. A piece of the lock moved. There was a whirring from inside the door and something went click. He sagged with relief. It is said that the prospect of hanging concentrates the mind wonderfully, but it was Valium compared to being watched by Mr. Tea Time. I... Uh, I think that's the third lock, he said. Green light is what opens it. I remember the famous lock of the Hall of Murgle, which could only be opened by the Hubwood Wind, although that was... I commend your expertise, said Tea Time. And the other four? Sidney looked up nervously at the silent bulk of Banjo and licked his lips. Well, of course, if I'm right and the locks depend on certain conditions, well, we could be here for years, he ventured. Supposing they can only be opened by, say, a small blonde child holding a mouse on a Tuesday in the rain. You can find out what the nature of the spell is, said Tea Time. Yes, yes, uh, of course, yes. Sidney waved his hands urgently. That's how I worked out this one. Reverse thaumaturgy. Yes, uh, certainly. Um, in, in time. We have lots of time, said Tea Time. Perhaps a little more time than that, Sidney quavered. The processes are, are very, very, very <clears throat> difficult. Oh, dear. If it's too much for you, you've only got to say, said Tea Time. No, Sidney yipped and then managed to get some self-control. No, no, I, 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 I'm sure I shall work them out soon. Jolly good, said Tea Time. The student wizard looked down. A wisp of vapour oozed from the crack between the doors. Do you know what's um, in here, Mr Tea Time? No. Ah, right. Sidney stared mournfully at the fourth lock. It was amazing how much you remembered when someone like Tea Time was around. He gave him a nervous look. There's not going to be any more violent deaths, are there? He said, I just can't stand the sight of violent deaths. Tea Time put a comforting arm around his shoulders. Don't worry, he said. I'm on your side. A violent death is the last thing that'll happen to you. Mr Tea Time, he turned. Medium Dave stepped onto the landing. Someone else is in the tower, he said. They've got cat's eye. I don't know how. I've got Peachy watching the stairs, and I ain't sure where chicken wire is. Tea Time looked back to Sidney, who started prodding at the fourth lock again in a feverish attempt not to die. Why are you telling me? I thought I was paying you big, strong men a lot of money to deal with this sort of thing. Medium Dave's lips framed some words, but when he spoke, he said, All right, but what are we up against here, eh? Old man trouble or the bogeyman or what? Tea Time sighed. Some of the Tooth Fairy's employees, I assume, he said. Not if they're like the ones that were here, said Medium Dave. They were just civilians. It looks like the ground opened up and swallowed Cat's Eye up. He thought about this. I mean, the ceiling, he corrected himself. A horrible image had just passed across his underused imagination. Tea Time walked across to the stairwell and looked down. Far below the pile of teeth looked like a white circle. And the girl's gone, said Medium Dave. Really? I thought I said she should be killed. Medium Dave hesitated. The boys had been brought up by Ma Lillywhite to be respectful to women as delicate and fragile creatures, and were soundly thrashed if disrespectful tendencies were perceived by Ma's incredibly sensitive radar. And it was truly incredibly sensitive. Ma could hear what you were doing three rooms away. 
terrible thing for a growing lad. That sort of thing leaves a mark. Ma Lillywhite certainly could. As for the others, they had no objections in practice to the disposal of anyone who got between them and large sums of money, but there was a general unspoken resentment at being told by tea-time to kill someone just because he had no further use for them. It wasn't that it was unprofessional. Only assassins thought like that. It was just that there were things you did do and things you didn't do, and this was one of the things you didn't do. We thought, well, you never know. She wasn't necessary, said tea-time. Few people are. Sidney thumbed hurriedly through his notebooks. Anyway, the place is a maze, Medium Dave said. Sadly, this is so, said Tea Time, but I am sure they will be able to find us. It's probably too much to hope that they intend something heroic. Violet and the O-God hurried down the stairs. Do you know how to get back? said Violet. Don't you? I think there's a kind of soft place. If you walk at it knowing it's there, you go through. You know where it is? No, I've never been here before. They had a bag on my head when we came. All I ever did was take the teeth from under the pillows. Violet started to sob. You just get this list and about five minutes training and they even dock you ten pence a week for the ladder. And I know I made that mistake with little William Rubin, but they should have said you're supposed to take any teeth you... Uh, mistake, said Billius, trying to get her to hurry. Just because he slept with his head under the pillow, but they give you the pliers anyway. No one told me that you shouldn't. She certainly did have a pleasant voice, Billius told himself. It was just that in a funny way it grated too. It was like listening to a talking flute. I think we'd just better get outside, he said, in case they hear us, he hinted. What sort of godding do you do, said Violet. I, uh, oh, uh, this and that, I, uh... Billius tried to think through the pounding headache and then he had one of those ideas, the kind that only sound good after a lot of alcohol. Someone else may have drunk the drinks, but he managed to snag the idea. I'm actually self-employed, he said, as brightly as he could manage. How can you be a self-employed god? Ah, well, you see, if any other god wants, perhaps, you know, a holiday or something, I cover for them. Yeah, that's what I do. Unwisely in the circumstances, he let his inventiveness impress him. Oh, yes. I'm very busy, rushed off my feet. They're always employing me. You've no idea. They don't think twice about pushing off for a month as a big white bull or a swan or something, and it's always, oh, oh, bilious old chap, just take care of things while I'm away, will you? Answer the prayers and so on. I hardly get a minute to myself. But, of course, you can't turn down work these days. Violet was round-eyed with fascination. And are you covering for anyone right now? she asked. Er... Uh, Yes, the, um, God of Hangovers, actually. Oh, God of Hangovers? How awful. Bilius looked down at his stained and wretched toga. I suppose it is, he mumbled. You're not very good at it. You don't have to tell me. You're more cut out to be one of the important gods, said Violet admiringly. I can just see you as Eo, or Fate, or one of those. Billius stared at her with his mouth open. "'I could tell at once that you weren't right,' she went on. "'Not for some horrible little god. "'You could even be offler with calves like yours.' "'Could I? "'I mean, oh, yes, yeah, sometimes. "'Of course I have to wear fangs.' "'And then someone was holding a sword to his throat. "'What's this?' said Chickenwire. "'Lover's Lane. 
You leave him alone, you, shouted Violet. He's a god. You'll be really sorry. Belius swallowed, but very gently. It was a sharp sword. <laughs> a god, eh? <laughs> said Chickenwire. What of? Belius tried to swallow again. Oh, um, a bit of this, bit of that, he mumbled. Oh, said Chickenwire. Well, I'm impressed. I can see I'm going to have to be dead careful here, eh? Don't want you smiting me with thunderbolts, do I? <laughs> Puts a crimp in the day, that sort of thing. Bilius didn't dare move his head, but out of the corner of his eye he was sure he could see shadows moving very fast across the walls. Dear me, <laughs> out of thunderbolts, are we? <laughs> Chicken Wire sneered. Well, you know, I've never... There was a creak. Chicken Wire's face was a few inches from Bilius. The O-God saw his expression change. The man's eyes rolled. His lips said, <sighs> Bilius risked stepping back. Chicken Wire's sword didn't move. He stood there, trembling slightly, like a man who wants to turn around to see what's behind him but doesn't dare to, in case he does. As far as Bilius was concerned, it had just been a creak. He looked up at the thing on the landing above. Who put that there? said Violet. It was just a wardrobe. Dark oak bit of fancy woodwork glued on in an effort to disguise the undisguisable fact that it was just an upright box. It was a wardrobe. You didn't, you know, try to cast a thunderbolt and go on a few letters too many, she went on. Huh? said Bilius, looking from the stricken man to the wardrobe. It was so ordinary, it was odd. I mean, thunderbolts begin with tea, and wardrobes... Violet's lips moved silently. Part of Bilius thought... I'm attracted to a girl who actually has to shut down all other brain functions in order to think about the order of the letters of the alphabet. On the other hand, she's attracted to someone who's wearing a toga that looks as though a family of weasels have had a party in it, so maybe I'll stop this thought right here. But the major part of his brain thought, why is this man making little bubbling noises? It's just a wardrobe, for my sake. No, no! mumbled Chicken Wire. I don't wanna... The sword clanged to the floor. He took a step backwards up the stairs, but very slowly, as if he was doing it despite every effort his muscles could muster. Don't want to do what? said Violet. Chicken Wire spun round. Bilius had never seen that happen before. People turned round quickly, yes, but Chicken Wire just revolved as if some giant hand had been placed on his head and twisted a 180 degrees. No, no... No! Chicken Wire whined. No! He tottered up the steps. You've got to help me, he whispered. What's the matter? said Bilius. It's just a wardrobe, isn't it? It's for putting all your old clothes in so that there's no room for your new clothes. The doors of the wardrobe swung open. Chicken Wire managed to thrust out his arms and grab the sides and for a moment he stood quite still. Then he was pulled into the wardrobe in one sudden movement and the doors slammed shut. The little brass key turned in the lock with a click. We ought to get him out, said the O-God, running up the steps. Why? Violet demanded. They are not very nice people. I know that one. When he brought me food, he made... Suggestive comments. Yes, but... Bilius hadn't ever seen a face like that outside of a mirror. Chicken wire had looked very, very sick. He turned the key and opened the doors. Oh, dear... I don't want to see, I don't want to see, said Violet, looking over his shoulder. Bilius reached down and picked up a pair of boots that stood neatly in the middle of the wardrobe's floor. Then he put them back carefully and walked round the wardrobe. It was plywood. 
The words Dratley and Sons, Fedra Road, Ankh-Morpork were stamped in one corner in faded ink. Is it magic? said Violet nervously. I don't know if something magic has the maker's name on it, said Bilius. There are magic wardrobes, said Violet nervously. If you go into them, you come out in a magic land. Bilius looked at the boots again. Uh, yes, he said. I think I must tell you something, said Death. Yes, I think you should, said Ridcully. I've got little devils running around the place eating socks and pencils. Earlier tonight we sobered up someone who thinks he's a god of hangovers, and half my wizards are trying to cheer up the cheerful fairy. We thought something must have happened to the Hogfather. We were right, right? Hex was right, Arch-Chancellor, Ponder corrected him. Hex? What? Is Hex. Uh, Hex thinks, that is, calculates, that there's been a big change in the nature of belief today, said Ponder. He felt, he did not know why, that death was probably not in favour of unliving things that thought. Mr. Hex was remarkably astute. The Hogfather has been, death paused. There is no sensible human word. Dead in a way, but not exactly. A god cannot be killed. Never completely killed. He has been, shall we say, severely reduced. Ye gods, said Ridcully, who'd want to kill off the old boy? He has enemies. What did he do? Miss a chimney? Every living thing has enemies. What, everything? Yes, everything. Powerful enemies, but they have gone too far this time. Now they are using people. Who are? Those who think the universe should be a lot of rocks moving in curbs. Have you ever heard of the auditors? I suppose the bursar may have done. Not auditors of money, auditors of reality. They think of life as a stain on the universe, a pestilence, messy, getting in the way. In the way of what? The efficient running of the universe. I thought it was a uh, run for us. Well, for the Professor of Applied Anthropics, actually. But we're allowed to tag along, said Ridcully. He scratched his chin. And I could certainly run a marvellous university here if only we didn't have to have these damn students underfoot all the time. Quite so. They want to get rid of us? They want you to be less... Damn, I've forgotten the word. Untruthful? The Hogfather is a symbol of this. Death snapped his fingers, causing echoes to bounce off the walls, and added, Wistful lying. Untruthful, said Ridcully. Me? I'm as honest as the day is long. Yes, what is it this time? Ponder had tugged at his robe, and now he whispered something in his ear. Ridcully cleared his throat. I am reminded that this is, in fact, the shortest day of the year, he said. However, this does not undermine the point that I just made, although I thank my colleague for his invaluable support and constant readiness to correct minor, if not downright trivial, errors. I am a remarkably truthful man, sir. Things said at university council meetings don't count. I mean humanity in general. Uh, the act of telling the universe it is other than it is. Eh, you've got me there, said Ridcully. Anyway... Why are you doing the job? Someone must. It is vitally important. They must be seen and believed. 
Before dawn there must be enough belief in the Hogfather. Why? said Redcullis. So that the sun will come up. The two wizards gawped at him. I seldom joke, said Death, at which point there was a scream of horror. That sounded like the purser, said Ridcully, and he's been doing so well up to now. The reason for the bursar's scream lay on the floor of his bedroom. It was a man. He was dead. No one alive had that kind of expression. Some of the other wizards had got there first. Ridcully pushed his way through the crowd. Ye gods, he said, what a face. He looks as though he died of fright. What happened? Well, said the dean, as far as I can tell, the bursar opened his wardrobe and found the man inside. Really? I wouldn't have said the poor old bursar was all that frightening. No arch-chancellor, the corpse, fell out on him. The bursar was standing in the corner, wearing his old familiar expression of good-humoured concussion. You all right, old fellow? said Ridcully. What's eleven percent of one thousand two hundred and seventy-six? One hundred and forty-point-three-six, said the bursar promptly. Ah, right as rain, said Ridcully cheerfully. I don't see why, said the chair of indefinite studies, just because he can do things with numbers doesn't mean everything else is fine. Doesn't need to be, said Ridcully. Numbers is what he has to do. The poor chap might be slightly yo-yo, but I've been reading about it. He's one of these idiot servants. Savant, said the dean patiently. The word is savant, Ridcully. Whatever. Those chaps who can tell you what day of the week the first of Groon was a hundred years ago. Tuesday, said the burster, but can't tie their bootlaces, said Ridcully. What was a corpse doing in his wardrobe, and no one is to say not a lot, or anything tasteless like that? Haven't had a corpse in a wardrobe since that business with Arch-Chancellor Buckleby. We all warned Buckleby that the lock was too stiff, said the dean. Just out of interest... Why was the bursar fiddling with his wardrobe at this time of night? said Ridcully. The wizards looked sheepish. We were playing sardines, Arch-Chancellor, said the dean. What's that? It's like hide-and-seek, but when you find someone you have to squeeze in with them, said the dean. I, hmm, I just want to be clear about this, said Ridcully. My senior wizards have spent the evening playing hide-and-seek. Oh, not the whole evening, said the chair of indefinite studies. We played grandmother's footsteps and I spy for quite a while, until the senior wrangler made a scene just because we wouldn't let him spell chandelier with an S. Party games? You fellas? The dean sidled closer. It's Miss Smith, he mumbled. When we don't join in, she bursts into tears. Who's Miss Smith? The cheerful fairy said the lecturer in recent runes glumly. If you don't say yes to everything, her lip wobbles like a plate of jelly. It's unbearable. We just joined in to stop her weeping, said the dean. It's amazing how one woman can be so soggy. If we're not cheerful, she bursts into tears, said the chair of indefinite studies. The senior wrangler's doing some juggling for her at the moment. But he can't juggle. I think that's cheering her up a bit. What you're telling me, then, is that my wizards are prancing round, playing children's games just to cheer up some dejected fairy. Er, uh, yes. 
I thought you had to clap your hands and say you believed in them, said Ridcully. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's just for the little shiny ones, said the lecturer in recent runes, not for the ones in saggy cardigans with half a dozen hankies stuffed up their sleeves. Ridcully looked at the corpse again. Hmm. Anyone know who he is? Looks a bit of a ruffian to me. And where's his boots, may I ask? The dean took a small glass cube from his pocket and ran it over the corpse. Quite a large thalmic reading, gentlemen, he said. I think he got here by magic. He rummaged in the man's pockets and pulled out a handful of small white things. Ugh, he said. Teeth, said Ridcully. Who goes around with a pocket full of teeth? Uh, a very bad fighter, said the chair of indefinite studies. I'll go and get Modo to take the poor fellow away, shall I? If we can get a reading off the Thaumameter, perhaps Hex, Ridcully began. Now, Ridcully, said the dean, I really think there must be some problems that can be resolved without having to deal with that damn thinking mill. Death looked up at Hex. A machine for thinking? Uh, yes, sir, said Ponder Stibbons. You see, when you said, well, you see, Hex believes everything. But look, the sun really will come up, won't it? That's its job. Leave us. Ponder backed away and then scurried out of the room. The ants flowed along their tubes. Cogwheels spun. The big wheel with the sheep skulls on it creaked around slowly. A mouse squeaked somewhere in the works. Well, said Death. After a while, the pen began to write, Plus, 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 big red lever time, plus, 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 query, plus, plus, plus. No, they say you are a thinker. Extend logically the result of the human race ceasing to believe in the Hogfather. Will the sun come up? Answer. It took several minutes. The wheels spun, the ants ran, the mouse squeaked. An egg timer came down on a spring. It bounced aimlessly for a while and then jerked back up again. Hex wrote, Plus, 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 the sun will not come up. Plus, plus, plus. Correct. How may this be prevented? Answer. Plus, 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 regular and consistent belief. Plus, plus, plus. Good. I have a task for you, thinking engine. Plus, plus, plus. Yes. I am preparing an area of write-only memory. Plus, plus, plus. What is that? Plus, plus, plus. You would say, to know in your bones. Plus, plus, plus. Good. Here is your instruction. Believe in the Hogfather. Plus, plus, plus. Yes. Plus, plus, plus. Do you believe? Answer. Plus, plus, plus. Yes. Plus, plus, plus. Do you believe? Answer. Plus, plus, plus. Yes. Plus, plus, plus. There was a change in the assembled heap of pipes and tubes that was Hex. The big wheel creaked into a new position. From the other side of the wall came the hum of busy bees. Good. Death turned to leave the room, but stopped when Hex began to write furiously. He went back and looked at the emerging paper. Plus, 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 dear... Hogfather, for Hogswatch, I want... Oh, no, you can't write letter... Death paused, and then said, You can, can't you? Plus, plus, plus. Yes, I am entitled, plus, plus, plus. Death waited until the pen had stopped and picked up the paper. 
But you are a machine. Things have no desires. A doorknob wants nothing, even though it is a complex machine. Plus, plus, plus. All things strive. Plus, plus, plus. You have a point, said Death. He thought of tiny red petals in the black depths, and read to the end of the list. I don't know what most of these things are. I don't think the sack will, either. Plus, plus, plus. I regret this. Plus, plus, plus. But we will do the best we can, said Death. Frankly, I shall be glad when tonight's over. It's much harder to give than to receive. He rummaged in his sack. Let me see. How old are you? Susan crept up the stairs, one hand on the hilt of the sword. Ponder Stibbons had been worried to find himself as a wizard awaiting the arrival of the Hogfather. It's amazing how people define roles for themselves and put handcuffs on their experience and are constantly surprised by the things a roulette universe spins at them. Here am I, they say, a mere wholesale fishmonger at the controls of a giant airliner because, as it turns out, all the crew had the coronation chicken. Who'd have thought it? Here am I, a housewife who merely went out this morning to bank the proceeds of the Playgroup Association's car boot sale, on the run, with one million in stolen cash and a rather handsome man from the Battery Chicken's Liberation Organisation. Amazing. Here am I, a perfectly ordinary hockey player, suddenly realising I'm the son of God with 500 devoted followers in a nice little commune in Empowerment, Southern California. Who'd have thought it? Here am I, thought Susan, a very practically-minded governess, who can add up faster upside down than most people can the right way up, climbing up a tooth-shaped tower belonging to the Tooth Fairy and armed with a sword belonging to death. Again! I wish one month, just one damn month, could go by without something like this happening to me. She could hear voices above her. Someone said something about a lock. She peered over the edge of the stairwell. It looked as though people had been camping out up there. There were boxes and sleeping rolls strewn around. A couple of men were sitting on boxes, watching a third man who was working on a door in one curved wall. One of the men was the biggest Susan had ever seen, one of those huge, fat men who contrived to indicate that a lot of the fat under their shapeless clothes is muscle. The other... Hello, said a cheerful voice by her ear. What's your name? She made herself turn her head slowly. First, she saw the grey, glinting eye. Then the yellow-white one with the tiny dot of a pupil came into view. Around them was a friendly pink-and-white face topped by curly hair. It was actually quite pretty in a boyish sort of way, except that those mismatched eyes staring out of it suggested that it had been stolen from somewhere else. She started to move her hand, but the boy was there first, dragging the sword scabbard out of her belt. Ah-ah, uh -uh, he chided, turning and fending her off as she tried to grab it. Well, 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 my word! White bone handle, rather tasteless skull and bone decoration. Death himself, second favourite weapon, am I right? Oh my, this must be Hogswatch, and this must mean that you are Susan Stowe Hellet. Nobility, I'd bow, he added, dancing back, but I'm afraid you'd do something dreadful. There was a click and a little gasp of excitement from the wizard working on the door. Yes, yes, left-handed using a wooden pick, that's simple. He saw that even Susan was looking at him and coughed nervously. Uh, I've got the fifth lock open, Mr. Teatime. Not a problem. They're just based on Waddley's occult sequence. Any fool could do it if they knew that. 
I know it, said Tea Time, without taking his eyes off Susan. Ah. It was not technically audible, but nevertheless Susan could almost hear the wizard's mind backpedalling. Up ahead was the conclusion that Tea Time had no time for people he didn't need. With uh, interesting um, subtleties, he said slowly. Yes, um, very tricky. I'll, I'll just have to have a look at number six. How do you know who I am? said Susan. Oh, easy, said Tea Time. Twerp's peerage. Family motto, non tomatis messor. We have to read it, you know, in class. <laughs> Old Merisset calls it the guide to the turf. No one laughs except him, of course. Oh, yes, I know about you. Quite a lot. Your father was well known, went a long way very fast. As for your grandfather, honestly, that motto, is that good taste? Of course, you don't need to fear him, do you? Or do you? Susan tried to fade. It didn't work. She could feel herself staying embarrassingly solid. I don't know what you're talking about, she said. Who are you, anyway? I beg your pardon. My name is Teatime. Jonathan Teatime. At your service. Susan lined up the syllables in her head. You mean, like around four o'clock in the afternoon, she said. No, I did say Teatime, said Tea Time. I spoke very clearly. Please don't try to break my concentration by annoying me. I only get annoyed at important things. How are you getting on, Mr. Sidney? If it's just according to Waddley's sequence number six, should be copper and blue-green light. Unless, of course, there are any... Huh, subtleties. Um, doing all right now, Mr. Teatime. Do you think your grandfather will try to rescue you? Do you think he will? But now I have his sword, you see. I wonder... There was another click. Sixth lock, Mr. Teatime. Really? Uh, don't you want me to start on the seventh? Oh, well, if you like. Pure white light will be the key, said Tea Time, still not looking away from Susan. But it may not be all important now. Thank you, anyway. You've been most helpful. Er, uh, yes. You may go. Susan noticed that Sidney didn't even bother to pick up his books and tools, but hurried down the stairs as if he expected to be called back and was trying to run faster than the sound. "'Is that all you're here for?' she said. "'A robbery?' He was dressed like an assassin, after all, and there was always one way to annoy an assassin. "'Like a thief?' Tea Time danced excitedly. "'A thief? Me? I'm not a thief, madam, but if I were I would be the kind that steals fire from the gods. "'We've already got fire. "'There must be an upgrade by now.' No, these gentlemen are thieves, common robbers, decent types, although you wouldn't necessarily want to watch them eat, for example. That's Medium Dave, and Exhibit B is Banjo. He can talk. Medium Dave nodded at Susan. She saw the look in his eyes. Maybe there was something she could use. She'd need something. Even her hair was a mess. She couldn't step behind time. She couldn't fade into the background, and now even her hair had let her down. She was normal. Here, she was what she'd always wanted to be. Bloody, bloody damn. Sidney prayed as he ran down the stairs. He didn't believe in any gods, since most wizards seldom like to encourage them, but he prayed anyway the fervent prayers of an atheist who hopes to be wrong. But no one called him back, and no one ran after him. So, being of a serious turn of mind under his normal state of subcritical fear, he slowed down in case he lost his footing. 
It was then that he noticed that the steps underfoot weren't the smooth whiteness they had been everywhere else, but were very large pitted flagstones. And the light had changed, and then they weren't stairs anymore, and he staggered as he encountered flat ground where steps should have been. His outstretched hand brushed against a crumbling brick, and the ghosts of the past poured in, and he knew where he was. He was in the yard of Gamma Wimbledon's Dame School. His mother wanted him to learn his letters and be a wizard, but she also thought that long curls on a five-year-old boy looked very smart. This was the hunting ground of Ronnie Jenks. Adult memory and understanding said that Ronnie was just an unintelligent, bullet-headed seven-year-old bully with muscles where his brain should have been. The eye of childhood, rather more accurately, dreaded him as a force like a personalised earthquake with one nostril bunged up with bogeys, both knees scabbed, both fists bald, and all five brain cells concentrated in a kind of cerebral grunt. Oh, gods. There was the tree Ronnie used to hide behind. It looked as big and menacing as he remembered it. But if somehow he'd ended up back there, gods knew how, well, he might be a bit on the skinny side, but he was a damn sight bigger than Ronnie Jenks now. Gods, yes. He'd kick those evil little trousers, all the... And then, as a shadow blotted out the sun, he realised he was wearing curls. Tea Time looked thoughtfully at the door. I suppose I should open it, he said, after coming all this way. You are controlling children by their teeth, said Susan. It does sound odd, doesn't it, when you put it like that, said Tea Time, but that's sympathetic magic for you. Is your grandfather going to try to rescue you, do you think? But no, I don't think he can. Not here, I think. I don't think that he can come here. So he sent you, did he? Certainly not. He... Susan stopped. Oh, he had, she told herself, feeling even more of a fool. He certainly had. He was learning about humans, all right. For a walking skeleton, he could be quite clever. But how clever was tea time? Just a bit too excited at his cleverness to realise that if death... She tried to stamp on the thought, just in case Tea Time could read it in her eyes. I don't think he'll try, she said. He's not as clever as you, Mr. Tea Time. Te atime, said Tea Time automatically. That's a shame. Do you think you're going to get away with this? Oh, dear. Do people really say that? And suddenly Tea Time was much closer. I've got away with it. No more Hogfather. And that's only the start. We'll keep the teeth coming in, of course. Hmm. The possibilities. There was a rumble like an avalanche, a long way off. The dormant banjo had awakened, causing tremors in his lower slopes. His enormous hands, which had been resting on his knees, started a bunch. <coughs> What's this? he said. Tea time stopped and for a moment looked puzzled. What's this what? You said no more hog, father, said Banjo. He stood up like a mountain range, rising gently in the squeeze between colliding continents. His hands still stayed in the vicinity of his knees. Tea Time stared at him and then glanced at Medium Dave. He does know what we've been doing, does he? He said. You did tell him. Medium Dave shrugged. There's got to be a hogfather, said Banjo. There's always a hogfather. Susan looked down. Grey blotches were speeding across the white marble. She was standing in a pool of grey. So was Banjo. And around tea time the dots bounced and recoiled like wasps around a pot of jam. Looking for something, she thought. 
You don't believe in the Hogfather, do you? said Tea Time. A big boy like you? Yeah, said Banjo. So what's this no more Hogfather? Tea Time pointed at Susan. She did it, he said. She killed him. The sheer playground effrontery of it shocked Susan. No, I didn't, she said. He did, didn't, did. Banjo's big, bald head turned towards her. What's this about the Hogfather? he said. I don't think he's dead, said Susan, but tea time has made him very ill. Who cares, said tea time, dancing away. When this is over, Banjo, you'll have as many presents as you want, trust me. There's got to be a Hogfather, Banjo rumbled, else there's no Hog's Watch. It's just another solar festival, said tea time. It... Medium Dave stood up. He had his hand on his sword. We're going tea time, he said. Me and Banjo are going. I don't like any of this. I don't mind robbing. I don't mind thieving. But this isn't honest. Banjo, you come with me right now. What's this about no more hog father? said Banjo. Tea time pointed to Susan. You grab her, Banjo. It's all her fault. Banjo lumbered a few steps in Susan's direction and then stopped. Our mum said no hitting girls, he rumbled. No pulling their hair. Tea time rolled his one good eye. Around his feet, the greyness seemed to be boiling in the stone, following his feet as they moved. And it was around Banjo, too. Searching, Susan thought, it's looking for a way in. I think I know you, Tea Time, she said, as sweetly as she could, for Banjo's sake. You're the mad kid they're all scared of, right? Banjo, snapped Tea Time, I said, grab her. Our mam said, the giggling, excitable one, even the bullies never touched, because if they did, he went insane and kicked and bit, said Susan. The kid who didn't know the difference between chucking a stone at a cat and setting it on fire. To her delight, he glared at her. Shut up he said. I bet no one wanted to play with you, said Susan. Not the kid with no friends. Kids know about a mind like yours, even if they don't know the right words for it. I said shut up. Get her, Banjo. That was it. She could hear it in Tea Time's voice. There was a touch of vibrato that hadn't been there before. The kind of little boy, she said, watching his face, who looks up dolls' dresses. I didn't. Banjo looked worried. Our mam said... Out of blazes with your mam, snapped Tea Time. There was a whisper of steel as Medium Dave drew his sword. What did you say about our mam? he whispered. Now he's having to concentrate on three people, Susan thought. I bet no one ever played with you, she said. I bet there were things people had to hush up, hm? Banjo, you do what I tell you, Tea Time screamed. The monstrous man was beside her now. She could see his face twisted in an agony of indecision, his enormous fists clenched and unclenched, and his lips moved as some kind of horrible debate raged in his head. Our, our mam, our mam said. The grey marks flowed across the floor and formed a pool of shadow which grew darker and higher with astonishing speed. It towered over the three men and grew a shape. Have you been a bad boy, you little perisher? The huge woman towered over all three men. In one meaty hand it was holding a bundle of birch twigs as thick as a man's arm. The thing growled. Medium Dave looked up into the enormous face of Ma Lillywhite. Every paw was a pothole. Every brown tooth was a tombstone.
You been letting him get into trouble, our Davy? You have, ain't you? He backed away. No, mum, no, mum. You need a good hiding, Banjo? You been playing with the girls again? Banjo sagged onto his knees, tears of misery rolling down his face. Sorry, mum, sorry, sorry, mum. No, mum, sorry, sorry, mum. Then the figure turned to Medium Dave again. The sword dropped out of his hand. His face seemed to melt. Medium Dave started to cry. No, mum. No, mum. No, mum. He gave a gurgle and collapsed, clutching his chest, and vanished. Tea time started to laugh. Susan tapped him on the shoulder and, as he looked round, hit him as hard as she could across the face. That was the plan, at least. His hand moved faster and caught her wrist. It was like striking an iron bar. Oh, no, he said. I don't think so. Out of the corner of her eyes, Susan saw Banjo crawling across the floor to where his brother had been. Ma Lillywhite had vanished. This place gets into your head, doesn't it? Tea Time said. It pokes around to find out how to deal with you. Well, I'm in touch with my inner child. He reached out with his other hand and grabbed her hair, pulling her head down. Susan screamed. And it's much more fun, he whispered. Susan felt his grip lessen. There was a wet thump, like a piece of steak hitting a slab, and Tea Time went past her on his back. No pulling girl's hair, rumbled Banjo. That's bad. Tea Time bounced up like an acrobat and steadied himself on the railing of the stairwell. Then he drew the sword. The blade was invisible in the bright light of the tower. It's true what the stories say, then, he said. So thin you can't see it. I'm going to have such fun with it, he waved it at them. So light, you wouldn't dare use it. My grandfather will come after you, said Susan, walking towards him. She saw one eye twitch. He comes after everyone, but I'll be ready for him, said Tea Time. He's very single-minded, said Susan, closer now. Ah, a man after my own heart. Could be Mr. Tea Time. He brought the sword round. She didn't even have time to duck, and she didn't even try to when he swung the sword back again. It doesn't work here, she said, as he stared at it in astonishment. The blade doesn't exist here. There's no death here, she slapped him across the face. Hi, she said brightly. I'm the inner babysitter. She didn't punch. She just thrust out an arm, palm first, catching him under the chin and lifting him backwards over the rail. He somersaulted. She never knew how. He somehow managed to gain purchase on clear air, his free arm grabbed at hers, her feet came off the ground, and she was over the rail. She caught it with her other hand, although later she wondered if the rail hadn't managed to catch her instead. Tea Time swung from her arm, staring upwards with a thoughtful expression. She saw him grip the sword hilt in his teeth and reach down to his belt. The question, is this person mad enough to try to kill someone holding him, was asked and answered very, very fast. She kicked down and hit him on the ear. The cloth of her sleeve began to tear. Tea Time tried to get another grip. She kicked again, and the dress ripped. For an instant, he held on to nothing, and then, still wearing the expression of someone trying to solve a complex problem, he fell away, spinning, getting smaller. He hit the pile of teeth, sending them splashing across the marble. He jerked for a moment and vanished. A hand, like a bunch of bananas, pulled Susan back over the rail. "'You can get into trouble hitting girls.' said Banjo. No playing with girls. There was a click behind him. The doors had swung open. Cold white mist rolled out across the floor. Our ma'am, 
said Banjo, trying to work things out. Our ma'am was here. Yes, said Susan. But it weren't our ma'am, cause they buried our ma'am. Yes. We watched them fill in the grave and everything. Yes, said Susan, and added to herself, I bet you did. And where's our Davy gone? Uh, somewhere else, Banjo. Somewhere nice, said the huge man, hesitantly. Susan grasped with relief the opportunity to tell the truth, or at least not definitely lie. It could be, she said. Better than here? You never know. Some people would say the odds are in favour. Banjo turned his pink piggy eyes on her. For a moment, a thirty-five-year-old man looked out through the pink clouds of a five-year-old face. That's good, he said. He'll be able to see our ma'am again. This much conversation seemed to exhaust him. He sagged. I want to go home, he said. She stared at his big, stained face, shrugged hopelessly, pulled a handkerchief out of her pocket and held it up to his mouth. Spit, she commanded. He obeyed. She dabbed the handkerchief over the worst parts and then tucked it into his hand. Have a good blow, she suggested, and then carefully leaned out of range until the echoes of the blast had died away. You can keep the hanky. Please, she added, meaning it wholeheartedly. Now, tuck your shirt in. Yes, miss. Now, go downstairs and sweep all the teeth out of the circle. Can you do that? Banjo nodded. What can you do? Susan prompted. Banjo concentrated. Sweep all the teeth out of the circle, miss. Good. Off you go. Susan watched him plod off and then looked at the white doorway. She was sure the wizard had only got as far as the sixth lock. The room beyond the door was entirely white, and the mist that swirled at knee level deadened even the sound of her footsteps. All there was was a bed. It was a large, four-poster, old and dusty. She thought it was unoccupied, and then she saw the figure lying among the mounds of pillows. It looked very much like a frail old lady in a mob cap. The old woman turned her head and smiled at Susan. Hello, my dear. Susan couldn't remember a grandmother. Her father's mother had died when she was young, and the other side of the family, well, she'd never had a grandmother. But this was the sort she would have wanted. The kind, the nasty realistic side of her mind said, that hardly ever existed. Susan thought she heard a child laugh, and another one. Somewhere, almost out of hearing, children were at play. It was always a pleasant lulling sound, always provided, of course, you couldn't hear the actual words. No, said Susan. Sorry, dear, said the old lady. You're not the tooth fairy. Oh, no. There was even a damn patchwork quilt. Oh, I am, dear. Oh, Grandma, what big teeth you have. Good grief, you've even got a shawl. Oh, dear. I don't understand, lovey. You forgot the rocking chair, said Susan. I always thought there'd be a rocking chair. There was a pop behind her and then a dying creak, creak. She didn't even turn round. If you've included a kitten playing with a ball of wool, it'll go very hard with you, she said sternly and picked up the candlestick by the bed. It seemed heavy enough. I don't think you're real, she said levelly. There's not a little old woman in a shawl running this place. You are out of my head. That's how you defend yourself. You poke around in people's heads and find the things that work. She swung the candlestick. It passed through the figure in the bed. See, she said, you're not even real. Oh, I am real, dear, said the old woman as her outline changed. The candlestick wasn't. 
Susan looked down at the new shape. Nope, she said. It's horrible, but it doesn't frighten me. No, nor does that. It changed again and again. No, <laughs> nor does my father. Good grief, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel, aren't you? I like spiders. Snakes don't worry me. Dogs? No. Rats are fine. I like rats. Sorry, is anyone frightened of that? She grabbed at the thing, and this time the shape stayed. It looked like a small wizened monkey, but with deep, big eyes under a brow overhanging like a balcony. Its hair was grey and lank. It struggled weakly in her grasp and wheezed. I don't frighten easily, said Susan, but you'd be amazed at how angry I can become. The creature hung limp. I, uh, it muttered. She let it down again. You're a bogeyman, aren't you, she said. It collapsed in a heap when she took her hand away. Not a... The... it said. What do you mean, the... said Susan. The bogeyman, said the bogeyman, and she saw how rangy it was, how white and grey streaked its hair, how the skin was stretched over the bones. The first bogeyman... I... there were... I do remember when the land was different. Ice, many times of ice, and the, what do you call them? The creature wheezed. The lands, the big lands, all different. Susan sat down on the bed. You mean continents? All different. The black sunken eyes glinted at her, and suddenly the thing reared up, bony arms waving. I was the dark in the cave. I was the shadow in the trees. You've heard about the primal scream? Hmm? That was at me. I was... It folded up and started coughing. And then, <laughs> that thing, <laughs> you know, that thing, all light and bright... Lightning you could carry, hot little sunshine, and then there was no more dark, just shadows, and then you made axes, axes in the forest, and then, and then... Susan sat down on the bed. There's still plenty of bogeymen, she said, hiding under the beds, lurking in the cupboards, but it fought for breath. If you had seen me in the old days when they came down into the deep caves to draw their hunting pictures, I could roar in their heads so that their stomachs dropped out of their bottoms. All the old skills are dying out, said Susan gravely. Oh, others came later. They never knew that first Pine, terror, all they knew. Even whispering, the bogeyman managed to get a sneer in its voice. Was dark corners. I had been the dark. I was the first. And now I was no better than them. Frightening maids, curdling cream, hiding in shadows at the stub of the year, and then one night I thought, why? Susan nodded. Bogeymen weren't bright. The moment of existential uncertainty probably took a lot longer in heads where the brain cells bounced so very slowly from one side of the skull to the other. But Grandad had thought like that. 
You hung around with humans long enough and you stopped being what they imagined you to be and wanted to become something of your own. Umbrellas and silver hairbrushes. You thought, what was the point of it all, she said. Frightening children, lurking. And then I started to watch them. Didn't really used to be children back in the ice times. Just big humans, little humans, not children. And, and there was a different world in their heads, in their heads. That's where the old days were now. The old days, when it was all young. You came out from under the bed. I watched over them, kept them safe. Susan tried not to shudder. And the teeth? I... Oh, you can't leave teeth around. Anyone might get them, do terrible things. I liked them. I didn't want anyone to hurt them, it bubbled. I never wanted to hurt them. I just used to watch. I kept the teeth all safe and, and, and sometimes I just sit here listening to them. It mumbled on. Susan listened in embarrassed amazement, not knowing whether to take pity on the thing or, and this was a developing option, to tread on it. And the teeth, they remember, it started to shake. The money, Susan prompted. I don't see many rich bogeymen around. Money everywhere, buried in holes, old treasure back of sofas. It adds up. Investments, money for the tooth, very important part of the magic, makes it safe, makes it proper, otherwise it's thieving. And I labelled them all and kept them safe, and, and then I was old. But I found people. The tooth fairy sniggered, and for a moment Susan felt sorry for the men in the ancient caves. They don't ask questions, do they? It bubbled. You give them money, and they all do their jobs, and they don't ask questions. It's more than their job's worth, said Susan. And then they came stealing. Susan gave in. Old gods do new jobs. You look terrible. Thank you very much. I mean ill. Very old. All those men. Too much effort. The bogeyman groaned. You, you don't die here, it panted. Just get old, listening to the laughter. Susan nodded. It was in the air. She couldn't hear words, just a distant chatter, as if it was at the other end of a long corridor. And this place, it grew up round me. The trees, said Susan, and the sky, out of their heads. Dying, the little children, you've got to... The figure faded. Susan sat for a while, listening to the distant chatter. Worlds of belief, she thought, just like oysters. A little piece of shit gets in and then a pearl grows up around it. She got up and went downstairs. Banjo had found a broom and mop somewhere. The circle was empty and with surprising initiative the man was carefully washing the chalk away. Banjo? Yes, miss. You like it here? There's trees, miss. That probably counts as a yes, Susan decided. The sky doesn't worry you? He looked at her in puzzlement. 
No, miss. Can you count, Banjo? He looked smug. Yes, miss. On my fingers, miss. So you can count up to... Susan prompted. Thirteen, miss, said Banjo proudly. She looked at his big hands. Good grief. Well, she thought, and why not? He's big and trustworthy, and what other kind of life has he got? I think it would be a good idea if you did the Tooth Fairy's job, Banjo. Will that be all right, miss? Won't the Tooth Fairy mind? You do it until she comes back. All right, miss. I'll, um... Get people to keep an eye on you until you get settled in. I think food comes in on the cart. You're not to let people cheat you. She looked at his hands and then up and up at the lower slopes until she saw the peak of Mount Banjo and added, Not that I think they'll try, mind you. Yes, miss. I will keep things tidy, miss. Er... Uh, the big pink face looked at her. Yes, Banjo? Can I have a puppy, miss? I had a kitten once, miss, but our mam drowned it cos it was dirty. Susan's memory threw up a name. A puppy called Spot? Yes, miss, Spot, miss. I think it'll turn up quite soon, Banjo. He seemed to take this entirely on trust. Thank you, miss. And now I've got to go. Right, miss. She looked back up the tower. Death's land might be dark, but when you were there, you never thought anything bad was going to happen to you. You were beyond the places where it could, but here. When you were grown up, you only feared, well, logical things, poverty, illness, being found out. At least you weren't mad with terror because of something under the stairs. The world wasn't full of arbitrary light and shade. The wonderful world of childhood? <laughs> well, it wasn't a cut-down version of the adult one, that was certain. It was more like the adult one written in big, heavy letters. Everything was more, more everything. She left Banjo to his sweeping and stepped out into the perpetually sunlit world. Bilius and Violet hurried towards her. Bilius was waving a branch like a club. You don't need that, said Susan. She wanted some sleep. We talked about it and we thought we ought to come back and help, said Bilius. Ah, democratic courage, said Susan. Well, they're all gone. To wherever they go? Bilius lowered the branch, thankfully. It wasn't that... He began. Look, you two can make yourselves useful, said Susan. There's a mess in there. Go and help Banjo. Banjo? He's more or less running the place now. Violet laughed. <laughs> but he's... He's in charge, said Susan wearily. All right, said Bilius. Anyway, I'm sure we can tell him what to do. No. Too many people have told him what to do. He knows what to do. Just help him get started, all right? But... If the Hogfather comes back now, you'll vanish, won't you? She didn't know how to phrase the question. I'm uh, giving up my old job, said Bilius. Uh, I'm going to go on working as a holiday relief for the other gods. He gave her a pleading look. Really? Susan looked at Violet. Oh, well, maybe if she believes in him at least, it might work. You never know. Good, she said. Have fun. Now I'm going home. This is a hell of a way to spend Hogswatch. She found Binky waiting by the stream.